It's 12.06, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, so very glad to have you with us. All right, tomorrow is Election Day. He is not on the ballot, but he casts a very long shadow over Wisconsin politics. We are joined in the studio by the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. Senator, good afternoon. Well, Jeff, how are you doing? I am well. Hey, let me ask you this. Did, did you early vote, or are you going you gonna to be voting tomorrow? I always absentee vote nowadays just because with my schedule, I'm never quite sure. Right. So, so you're you're already in. Your your votes are cast. They're already in. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm actually. I'm looking forward to my wife and I, I. I do it sometimes, but tomorrow morning we're gonna go out to the polling place. I've always enjoyed that. I, I just kind of like that tradition. Um, right. I, I always. I'm not a real early voting <laughs> proponent, quite honestly. There's a lot of news. I'd rather do it on election day. But right. I, I understand that the ease and and you know certainly absentee ballots is uh, something. That uh, I've taken advantage of. Now, Senator, I, you are obviously you're not on the ballot, but I know you have been traveling extensively around the state. You've been talking to a lot of voters. What do you see as the the top issue or issues that people are going to be voting on tomorrow? Well, it, it should be the economy. I think people are, you know, maybe a little complacent, taking that for granted. And one of my messages is, is don't. Uh, that didn't just happen. I mean, we had very sluggish growth, growth coming out of a very severe recession. You should have explosive growth, quite honestly. But uh, yeah, President Obama was overtaxing. He was uh, overregulating. He was trying to punish success every every way he possibly could. And so the attitude when Scott Walker came into uh, office, hey, Wisconsin, we're open for business. I mean, that, that's an incredibly important added, attitude change where we're going to incentivize. We want to make Wisconsin an attractive place for business investment, risk-taking, and you know, business expansion, job creation. That's exactly what President Trump has done as well. We stopped adding to the regulatory burden. We started reducing it. We have a more competitive tax system. And so now we have really remarkable economic results, 3.1% wage growth. Uh, we've had stagnant wages now for a decade or two. And this is a really positive sign, record levels of, of uh, low unemployment. But the metric I really look at being a business person is is business investment in the last two years. Of the Obama administration, business investment only increased at an average of 0.6% on a quarterly basis. First six quarters of this administration is up 7.3%. That's, that's 10 times the, the business or the, the investment rate. And that's so crucial for ongoing uh, future economic growth. Oh, by the way, we are live streaming our conversation with Senator Johnson, facebook.com slash 620WTMJ, and you can you can watch us as well as listen to us. Senator, I, I, I hear all the things that you're saying about the economy, and I'm somebody that remembers where, for example, the state of Wisconsin's economy was eight years ago. Have Republicans done a good enough job this election cycle getting that message out? Well, we never do, mainly because the, the, the mainstream media is not going to, amplify our message as they do, for example, the big lie that uh, the Democrats are talking about right now. So, I mean, the big three issues to me are the economy, the assault on our immigration system, the assault on our border, and the big lie that the Democrats are once again telling. You know, let's face it, President Obama got the 2013 political fact lie of the year. If you like your health care plan, if you like your doctor, you can right. keep it. And he's also promising that insurance rates would decrease by $2,500 per family. I mean, obviously, that wasn't true. And now they're following it up with the 2018 lie of the year, which is Republicans want to take away your protection of pre-existing conditions. Nothing could be further from the truth. My daughter has a, has a congenital heart defect. Scott Walker's mother, breast cancer. His wife has uh, diabetes. Every Republican knows somebody that has a pre-existing condition. If they don't have it themselves, that's been long decided. We're going to cover people with pre-existing conditions and high-cost conditions. The question is, how do you do it without having premiums double, triple, and quadruple as they have under the faulty architecture of Obamacare. There's ways, there's ways of doing it, and that's what we're trying to, to accomplish. But, you know, 
I want to calm everybody down, be you know, be put at ease. Republicans are going to protect those individuals with pre-existing conditions or high-cost conditions. Now, of course, the history of what you're describing as this lie is the idea that if you would vote to repeal Obamacare, which does contain coverage for pre-existing conditions, that automatically means that you're not going to have some alternative which would take care of that. And that's what you're saying. It's just fundamentally untrue. Remember, we were talking repeal and replace. And so many of us in that replace said, listen, we're not going to take away insurance coverage that anybody obtained under Obamacare. And we're certainly not going to address or we're not going to take away that that protection pre-existing conditions. But we wanted to do it in a way that was economically rational. The the faulty architecture of Obamacare is that we're literally, Obamacare asks 5 to 6% of the American population People that pay for their insurance with after-tax dollars, which is also unfair, but have to purchase insurance to the individual market to bear the full burden, the full cost of covering everybody else with pre-existing high-cost conditions. That's why premiums doubled, tripled, quadrupled. You have to spread that cost over everybody. Wisconsin had a high-risk pool where a great couple tweaks, of, like Maine, with their invisible high-risk pool, they had guaranteed issue. They had protected. They, you know, right. And it predictably caused their premiums double and triple. So they didn't repeal it, they just supplanted it with an invisible high-risk pool. For young people, premiums were cut to a third of the level, for elderly about a half. And that's what we need to do moving forward is you know, we have to address the forgotten men and women. People who work, don't get the taxpayer subsidy, have been really priced out of the Obamacare market, and we're doing some of it, association health care plans, short-term limited duration plans, which Tammy Baldwin wanted to outlaw, which was really, the, the right now, the real risk of pre-existing conditions is what President Obama did with those short-term limited duration plans, only 90 days is a crack. If you buy one of those because you can't afford Obamacare plans, if you get sick, you can't renew those, and you got to wait nine months for open enrollment. So that's the, the one risk right now to, to pre-existing conditions, and that's what Tammy Baldwin wanted to codify in law, even though President Trump changed it back to the way it was during the Obama administration. Obviously, one of the big issues over the course of the last... Well, actually, a couple of years, but but it's the chicken is coming home to roost again as we approach tomorrow. Is the whole issue of immigration and border security? How does that play out in Wisconsin? Well, first of all, we need immigrant labor. You know, we, we've got dairy farms, and there's not one manufacturing plant that can hire enough people. Quite honestly, so we have a shortage of workers here. So I believe we need a legal immigration system. This is a nation of immigrants. Uh, every wave of immigrant ever came to this country, came here to work hard, and that's the vast majority of people coming to this country, even if they're coming in illegally, but we can't allow that. What is happening right now is literally an all-out assault on our legal system. It's an exploitation of our broken immigration system, and the, the caravans are just a symptom. Now, Jeff, you may not realize it, but every couple of days, we have a caravan-sized group of people coming into our country, being apprehended, coming in illegally between the ports of entry. About 1,400 people per day. Another 500 people coming to the ports of entry without proper documentation, claiming asylum. Uh, I think at a minimum what we ought to do, and I actually just spoke to President Trump about this today, is if you come to this country illegally, you will not be granted any kind of asylum claim. We'll give you due process, we'll hold a hearing, but... You're not going to be able to claim asylum. You've done it the wrong way. There's a right way to do it. There's a legal way. That alone would cut dramatically down on the illegal immigration. And then, then we have a process we can start working on. Because, of course, the problem is when somebody presents and makes the asylum claim, they're, they're allowed to stay in the country while that hearing plays out. Right. And and then since they're they're not incarcerated, what happens is a large number of people just they get a court date and then they never show up. They and, show and they're up. just gone. Yeah. No, and, and you know, 
it, it takes sometimes three, four, five years to fully adjudicate these asylum claims. And it gets to the point where, although Attorney General Sessions ended this, they would just administratively close the case. Right. So appeal after appeal after appeal after appeal, delay after delay after delay. So we actually incentivize people to come to this country illegally. We reward it. You know, of course, one of those rewards is, is unlimited birthright citizenship, which I think President Trump is completely, uh, it's completely appropriate for him to raise that issue. And we should explore whether we should continue to grant unlimited, again, unlimited birthright citizenship. Do you think you could get rid of birthright citizenship with an executive order, or would it need a constitutional change or a le- legislative change? You could do it without a big court challenge. Right. Uh, listen, I'm, I'm not a legal expert. I'll, I'll figure out, <laughs> let other people sort out how you address it. But we should have that discussion, that debate, because it's we have right now birthing tourism. Right. Uh, it, it is a large number of people that become U.S. citizens because their parents came to this country illegally. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you have... Uh, at, kind of minimum estimate about 12 million people in this country illegally. Well, especially when you look at the history of, of birthright citizenship, which is after the Dred Scott case and after the Civil War, it was intended to make clear that um, in Negroes or African-Americans or blacks born in this country in slavery were citizens. I don't think it was ever intended to anticipate, I, I don't know, people right. coming in 2018. No, again, it was, it was passed in 1868, and you're exactly right, to, so that you know, former slaves, their children were citizens. Right. It made perfect sense at the time, but nobody contemplated 12 million people in this country illegally. Um, Senator, can I ask you to stick around through the break? A lot Absolutely. of stuff I want to talk to you. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more. We are live streaming facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. I'm joined in studio by the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. Stick around. 1216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, joined in the studio by the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. Senator Johnson, let's talk a little bit, before we get off the topic of immigration, there there are really two philosophies, it seems to me. You have a number of Democrats who are pushing the concept of sanctuary cities, and you have Republicans who are saying, no, hold on, that's not the way to approach the immigration problem. Well, I I would think that's rather obvious that that's not going to work. That's just another incentive for people to come in this country illegally. You know, some of the crazier uh, Democrats are actually looking to abolish ICE. They are for catch and release. They'll pay lip service to try and secure the border, but they're basically for open borders. I don't get it. I don't understand why they think that uh, has you know any kind of political advantage for them. But it is a it's a crazy mindset when you realize that there are a lot of dangers to having open border. You know, national security. I mean, it, it is. You know, we do know there are gang members there. There are there are some pretty unsavory people that come to this country illegally. They're called special interest aliens. Um, there there are certain diseases that drug resistant strains of tuberculo- tuberculosis more endemic in less developed countries. I mean, it's a public health and safety. And how about the open borders as it relates to the flow of, of heroin with this enormous overdose problem we have in this nation? So. For a host of reasons, we have well, to the just, border. Even without that, just the strain on social services. I mean, if you, you, I mean, you, you would think. I mean, I think almost every country has some limits on on who comes in and how many people can come in at any given time. Well, one of the, the main reason I vote against the comprehensive immigration reform that Tammy Baldwin touts is there was two hundred sixty billion dollars, including that bill for welfare benefits for non-U.S. citizens. You know what that's called? That's a huge incentive for more people to come to this country illegally. So, again, I think the, the minimum estimate I've seen what it costs us annually in terms of welfare benefits is somewhere around $100 billion. My guess, that's a gross underestimate. So, no, it costs our society greatly to have a 
completely broken system. Again, we're a nation of immigrants, but it has to be a legal process. Senator, if on, on Wednesday morning we wake up and the Democrats have taken control of oh, I, I, either, please, the, please. Well, well, either the House or, 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 or the Senate, I mean, if you look at a lot of predictions, again, I, I think we're all a little bit skeptical of polls. As I, as I always point out, if you believe polls, you would not be in your second term as the U.S. senator. I mean, I was. Yeah, that, I would have curled up in a ball in the court and just. You know, <laughs> right. It was like, why have an election? You know, Senator Johns, he's not going to win. But um, if we look at that, if if you do have this kind of divided government, especially given the mindset that is out there nowadays, I mean, what's going to happen over the next two years? Are, are we going to get anything accomplished? Well, first of all, if they take over the House, it won't be about governing. You know, we've done a pretty darn good job governing. We talked about the economic progress. It's just going to be investigations and talk of impeachments. If they take over the Senate, if there's an opening in the Supreme Court, we won't be able to fill it. Uh, we probably won't be able to fill any more circuit court uh, judgeships either. So it'll be complete gridlock. And, you know, of course, you, you can't take this economy for granted. It, it's an attitude issue. Governor Walker, we're open for business. That's such an important attitude shift. Uh, the fact that we've tried to incentivize uh, risk-taking and, and business investment. Democrats punish success. They want to overregulate. They overtax. So all this economic progress, the path we're on, we can go off on the uh, off the rails very quickly. So no, it's it's. I don't even want to contemplate it. So that's that's why I'm traveling all over the world. I'm trying to get on shows like this just to encourage everybody first vote and then bring a lot more people to polls. You know, Sunday before my reelection, 2016. You know, down the polls, but I wasn't giving up. So I go to Lambeau Field as I'd done about four or five times during home games and and just worked. The, the tailgates for about three or four hours. That day in particular, I'm wearing my Aaron Rodgers. I had number 12 on it. I said, okay, now, thanks for your vote. Now get me 12 more. <laughs> You're right. And I actually had somebody come, because I did a Fox News hit at George Webb. Came up uh, usually Monday or Tuesday, that either election day or the day before, and said, you know, Sandra, I got you those 12 votes in the stadium. So I, I'm, I'm giving you that little anecdotal story mm-hmm. because it's possible. You have to talk to people. This is a, this is a grassroots effort. That's what wins elections. Forget all the ads. Now it comes right down to crunch time. If you're concerned about your individual liberty, uh, if you want to keep Wisconsin and America on the right path, you have to reelect Scott Walker. Please send me, please send me Leah Vukmir. Some of you won't cancel my vote who will actually vote to rebuild the military. Uh, keep regulatory burden as light as possible and have a competitive tax system. You know, we need all of our members of Congress. Glenn Grothman, great, great, excellent congressman. Uh, Mike Gallagher up in uh, Green Bay area, Jim Sensenbrenner, obviously, Brian Stiles, and, of course, Sean Duffy. We've got a great delegation. And oh, How about vote for every uh, Republican Assembly member and uh, state senators as well? We've got to keep uh, things going the right direction. Senator, oftentimes, it seems like every election we, we talk about turnout being key. My sense is, while that is always true, it's really true tomorrow, perhaps more so than any election that I, I can remember. Well, the left is angry. It's one of the things that's more going. I mean, the big lie about uh, pre-existing conditions. The second one is, like, we're the angry party. No. I sprang on the Tea Party movement. You know, rallies with thousands of people. Nobody was angry. They were passionate. They were concerned. They, they would leave the, the field, and there wasn't even, you know, a speck of litter. So we're not the angry party. It's the other party. It's Kathy Griffin who holds a, a beheaded Donald Trump. It's 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 the other party that has supporters that go through a dark alley ch- chanting, not my words, theirs. What do we want? Dead cops. When do we want them now? I mean, you saw after this inauguration, the following weekend, hundreds of thousand 
those people protesting in Washington, D.C. with some of the most vile signs and saying some of the most vile things. So the left is angry. They are energized. We have to be every bit as tenacious and relentless at defending our freedom as they are trying to take it away from us. Do you, as you kind of look into your crystal ball, do you think the Republicans are going to perhaps overperform with some of the, the predictions are out there in the mainstream media? Oh, I'm praying we do. I mean, nothing, nothing will be sweeter, more satisfying to wake up and turn on Morning Joe and just look at the, you know, just the drawn faces, you know, just crying, go, oh, what happened? So please, please make that happen. What, what, how, how is, how is the president, how does the president play into Wisconsin? I mean, obviously a, a divisive figure. Some people love him. Some people don't love him. Is, is that, is perhaps the, the how people feel about the president, even though he's not on the ballot in Wisconsin, is that perhaps overshadowing, I don't know, some of the great economic news and all the things that you've been talking about? Uh, you know, listen, his, he's going to be a factor. He's made himself a factor. You know, I was up in Mosin. I think 7,000 people were inside. There were, you know, more outside. It was a great rally. Uh, everybody had a smile on their face. And, and by the way, nobody was angry. I, I, it took me about an hour to find my car in the parking lot afterwards. <laughs> so I'm talking to all kinds of people. They were just leaving in a really good mood because here you have, for once, a president who is just all about America and is just so concerned about every American. Um, and people get that, and they really appreciate that fact. And I tell you, you know, my, my dealings with President Trump, and listen, you know, I wish he wouldn't tweet as much. I, I have to respond to those tweets. I'd rather not have to do that. But I'll tell you, when you meet him in person, you cannot not like him. He's engaging. He's gracious. He's very funny. That's one of the things I think drives the, the, the press nuts is, he is funny. He's got a sense of humor, and they just they don't. Right. <laughs> um, but it's unbelievable how energetic he is. I mean, I, I've been amazed. Listen, 2016, I ran a hard campaign. Right. I took a few days off. I mean, I just had to. He didn't. I mean, he starts building his cabinet, and he's never stopped. I mean, look at all these rallies he's going through. You, you have to. He's 10 years older than I am. I don't have that level of energy. So no, I've, I've again. You cannot not like him when you when you work with him and you deal with him, and you really do realize. I mean, he's committed to make this country great. He really is. He has the best interest of the country at heart. You may not always agree with everything, and I don't agree with everything, but I, I'd absolutely agree with the fact that he ha- is in it for the country. Senator, that's actually my favorite quotation of the day, and, and I might steal it from you over the time, that he has a sense of humor and the press doesn't. <laughs> I yeah, just, well, I mean, that's obvious, isn't it? I love it. Senator Ron Johnson, thanks so much for spending time. I, I understand your message to everybody is get out and vote tomorrow because it's a very important election. And take others to the polls with you that will vote the right way. Senator Ron, <laughs> Senator Ron Johnson, the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, thanks for joining us. Back with more in just a couple minutes. It's 1228. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, Senator Ron Johnson, who we just had a chance to talk to, is not on the ballot uh, tomorrow. But somebody who is is Governor Scott Walker, and he's going to join us at 140 this afternoon. We have about 15 minutes scheduled with Governor Walker. He's going to be calling in. He is traveling out and about the state, making his case for another four-year term. I This story is just about as horrible as as it gets the the story about Saturday morning, what eleven or eleven thirty, up in the the Chippewa Falls area, you have the three Girl Scouts and the one adult who was hit, or all killed in in the three in the um in the hit and run crash. What what happened was you have the these Girl Scouts who are part of this Adopt a Highway program, you know, where you go out and you pick up litter along the side of the highway, and three Girl Scouts 
together with other members of their troop and an adult volunteer, a parent, chaperone and stuff. They're out Saturday morning along the highway and they're, they're picking up, you know, they're, they're picking up garbage. What happens is a, a pickup truck veers off this, this rural highway, hits these girls and the parent and then, and then drives off. Hit, hit and run. I mean, it's just about as horrible as, as it gets. And then, um, it, it starts to become, if, if, if it's possible to be worse, it, it's worse. Apparently, what happened is the guy driving the pickup truck, 21 years old, and he is, he's high, he is huffing. What, what does huffing mean? Well, it, think of it, the best way I could describe it is think about sniffing glue. I mean, I, I don't know what he was huffing. But but that's it. It's where you are inhaling something in order to get high. I mean, sometimes maybe you're sniffing gasoline. Maybe it's paint thinner. Maybe it's aerosol spray. What, whatever it is, it, it's this idea that you're sniffing something. Again, most commonly you'd hear about people like sniffing airplane glue to get themselves high. But but regardless, he is he is huffing. So he's driving this car. He is high and he is huffing. And he apparently, I, I don't know if he loses control or what. The latest report is that there's a passenger in the front seat of the car, and the passenger says the guy who was driving didn't appear to be coherent. And the passenger then tried to take control of the vehicle from him. What are you doing? A struggle ensued, leading to the trucks crossing the center line and entering the ditch, and then, you know, killing the people. Nine year old girl, 10 year old girl. 10-year-old girl and uh, the 10-year-old's 32-year-old mother. Um, wow. I mean, it just it doesn't get any worse than that. So here you have this guy. He's high. He's driving erratically. And again, the story is that somebody was trying to struggle with him to get control of the car. Who, who knows? But, but this is, again, it's intoxicated. He's high as a kite. He's huffing. I just I understand I'm going to say this and I'm going to get all sorts of emails about this all across the state tomorrow. There are referendums and ballot initiatives on legalizing marijuana, recreational marijuana use, which I think is always different than medical marijuana use, but recreational marijuana use. And whenever we talk about this, the argument that I always hear is, well, Jeff, you have people who drive when they're drunk and drunk driving is a huge problem. And so marijuana is no worse than alcohol. Well, first of all, I, I understand drunk driving is a huge problem in this state and in this country. My concern with marijuana has always been if you legalize it, I think that means that more people are going to do it. And if more people end up doing it, that leads to, I think, more people driving around in an altered state. And I understand smoking pot isn't necessarily the same as sniffing glue or whatever. But do we really want to do stuff in our society which might make it easier or encourage people to, I don't know, get themselves chemically altered and then maybe get behind the wheel of a car? And that's always the problem that I've had with legalizing marijuana. And the argument is, well, alcohol is legal. It's no worse than, than alcohol. It might be a little bit better. Well, okay, but look at all the problems we have in our society with alcohol. Now, the genie's out of the bottle. We, prohibition didn't work. You can't go back. But... Do you want to they take that next step? And 
I have to tell you, and I understand, like I said a minute ago, huffing, sniffing glue or sniffing whatever this guy was, was doing is not the same as smoking pot. But at the same time, you know, you get somebody chemically altered. Do we want people chemically altered driving down the roads? And you can see this is the type of thing that ends up happening. And my guess is the guy driving the car will probably, hopefully, spend the rest of his life in prison, but it doesn't bring back the two 10-year-old girls, it doesn't bring back the 9-year-old girl, and it doesn't bring back their 32-year-old mother of one of those kids. It's just, it is about as bad as it gets. No no silver lining in that very dark cloud. Okay, over the weekend, I, I sent out I sent out two tweets, and you can follow me, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 One of the tweets pointed out to a story that, that occurred earlier, la- late last week. And, and to me, I think I said it was Exhibit A as to why some people dislike the mainstream media as much as they do. If you haven't seen it, here's what happened. The MSNBC, MSNBC blows into, I believe it was Houston, Texas. And, and what they want to do is they want to do a, a thing on voter registration and early voting and stuff like that. All right, that that's fine. As well, as far as it goes. So what they do is they set up their their camera in a parking lot where you know people are are getting ready to go in and vote. All right, I'm I'm fine with all this, but in order to get the best shot possible, the best view that they have, what they do is they set up their cameras. And they set up for their live report in a series of disabled parking spaces in the parking lot. So they're they're blocking these disabled parking spaces in order that they can end up getting a a better view um, for the TV cameras. So some guy blows the whistle on him. A disabled veteran pulls up and says, I went to vote and found this waiting for us. He said the only van accessible spot was taken up by an MSNBC film crew, and they're filming it. We, when we pull up with our disabled spot and our disabled parking sticker, we asked them to move. We pointed out how wrong it was and then went in to vote. Um, When we came out, they were all still there. They weren't even packing up. They were getting ready for the shot. They kept saying, Oh, don't worry. We're going to move in a couple minutes. We're going to move. We're going to go live. We've got a shot. Um, you know, we've just got to do this. All right. So if you want to wonder, if you ever wonder why some people dislike the mainstream media as much as they do, just again, check out this story. I tweeted it out over the weekend. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. And it's this link to this story about how MSNBC decides the importance of getting their live shot justifies them setting up camp in a handicapped parking space and then refusing to move because, hey, we're going live in a couple minutes. Huh. Where is that compassionate liberalism when, when you want it, I guess? All right, when we come back, that's Exhibit A as to why some people dislike the mainstream media. Let me give you an Exhibit A as to why some people cannot stand the Hollywood elite's Perhaps you have heard about this. I tweeted about this as well. It occurred on Saturday Night Live last Saturday. Still, at least as of a few minutes ago, no apologies. Um, Are apologies necessary? We'll discuss. 1243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Stick around. 1247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Where do the Packers fit into the NFC North playoff picture? 
after Week 9's action. The path to the postseason might be closing soon. Both of those are perhaps what we would call understatements. Greg Matzik opens discussion and takes your thoughts. Sports Central, tune in. Greg does a great job. 707. Gru, who's producing the show today and always. All right. Packers make the playoffs. They, they're they 3-4-1. and one. They probably have to, at a minimum, win six of the remaining eight games and, and maybe seven out of eight, which means beating Seattle on the road, beating Minnesota on the road, beating Chicago on the road, um, and the beat goes on. Do they make the playoffs? I, I oh, you say no. All oh, right, he said slim. Okay, it was a yes or no question. No, I, I look. I I hope they're able to turn around, but no. Okay, so here's a tougher question: If they don't make the playoffs, Mike McCarthy back for the final year of his contract. Cruz says he'll be the new coach of the Browns. Could be John Dorsey, the former. You know, lots of ties with the Packers. No, I I I think we're winding. I hope I'm wrong. Hope I'm wrong, but I think we're hope. I mean, I hope they run the table, win eight in a row. I'm just saying. Given the way this season's going, unless there's some major turnaround, my guess is we're seeing the Mike McCarthy era come to an, an end. Um, and it's just, I, I like Mike McCarthy, by the way. I, I do on a personal level, but sometimes it's just kind of time to move on. No question about it. All right. We were, somebody sent me a, t- a text saying, are you making the story up about MSNBC setting up in a, a hand, in a disabled parking space? No, I, I'm not. It's, if like I say, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I, I, I sent out a link to the story. No, they're, they're in Houston. They're doing a thing on early voting. They set up their cameras in disabled parking space and then refuse to move when a guy with a disability comes in and wants to vote. Okay, don't you understand? We're MSNBC, and you wonder why people dislike the media. All right, well, here's the here's the other side of this. Look, I understand that politics isn't beanbag, and I understand that if you um, if you run for office, you got to be prepared to to take some hits. I I get all that, but at the same time, are there no limits? Now, here's the guy's name. His name is um, let's see, his name is Dan Crenshaw. He is running for Congress out of Texas. He has, he lost his eyesight in one of his two eyes. I'll tell you about that in just a minute. But he's got an eye patch over his, his right eye. Now you might ask, okay, how did he end up losing his eyesight? Well, he, he's a Navy, he's a former Navy SEAL. And what ended up happening is he sustained an injury. All right. Um, on his third deployment in Afghanistan in 2012, he'd been there for six months. He was hit by an IED blast during a, a mission. He was evacuated. He awoke from his medically induced coma. He learned that his right eye had been destroyed in the blast, and his left eye was still present but badly damaged. So here you have a guy who loses his eye while, while serving his country. Um, what he ended up doing, apparently, is even after that, he went back and he served two more tours of duty overseas. So now he's he's running for Congress out of Texas. Well, enter Saturday Night Live. And Saturday Night Live, um, on their weekend update, they've got this guy named Pete Davidson, who is probably best known for being now the ex-boyfriend fiancé of Ariana Grande. But so they're, they're doing this, this thing. And they're making fun of predominantly Republican candidates, like okay, first impressions, and they're making fun of them. So they put a picture of this Congress, this congressman wannabe, Dan Crenshaw. They put a picture of him up on Saturday Night Live, and he's smiling. And like I said, he's got an eye patch 
over his right eye because he lost his eye uh, you know, in Afghanistan when he got hit by an IED. So this character, this Pete Davidson, thinks this is funny. He said, so they put on his picture on, and he's, this is what he says. He says, you may be surprised to hear he's a congressional candidate in Texas and not a hitman in a porno movie. Ha, ha, ha. He's starting to laugh. I'm sorry. I know he lost his eye in the war or whatever, whatever. Ha, 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 ha. And the crowd laughs. All right. As of now, Saturday Night Live has no apology, no disciplinary action. This did not go over well, apparently, outside of uh, the studio audience that just thought this was funny as heck. Look, here's this guy. He's running for Congress. He's got this eye patch on. Looks like a hitman in a porno movie. <laughs> I know he lost his eye in a war. Whatever, whatever. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, what I tweeted out about this was that this is Exhibit A as to why people hate the Hollywood elite. Was this all in good fun, or is this in incredibly bad taste? Are there limits on, you know, what you can do in the name of humor? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. Should Saturday Night Live be issuing apologies? Should there be disciplinary action? Should somebody have maybe said, you know, this really isn't that funny. We shouldn't do this in the first place. And, of course, they knew the guy lost his eye as a Navy SEAL because they made reference to, we know he lost his eye in the war, whatever. 414-799-1620. I think this is one where you channel back to the Joe McCarthy hearings in the 50s and you say to Lauren Michaels, who runs Saturday Night Live, and some of these other people, at long last, sir, at long last, have you no sense of decency? 1253, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Did they cross a line? We discuss. 1256, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Tammy Duckworth is the incumbent Democrat senator in Illinois. She is also um, actually the first woman um, to be elected to Congress with a disability. She's a combat veteran, and she is a double amputee, lost both her legs um, in, in Iraq. And you know, the, the woman, it, it's, it's a profile in courage. I don't care what her politics are. It, it is a profile in courage. You wouldn't, if anybody tried to mock her sacrifice and, and make fun of her disability, my goodness, that person would never be on national television again. But yet, Saturday Night Live, last Saturday evening, they decide they're going to make fun of this guy who was running for, was running for Congress. He, he lost, he's, cause he wears an eye patch. Oh, he looks like a he looks like a hitman in a porno movie. Ha ha ha! Everybody starts laughing. He lost his eye while serving uh, again in his third tour of duty in Afghanistan, and we get absolute crickets on this. Let's talk to Dave on the South Side. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hi, hi, Dave. I, uh, I was quite upset myself, and I feel Lauren Michaels being the producer of the show. He should be uh, publicly apologizing on next week's opening and give a large donation toward the vets programs and also the young uh, comedian, so-called. Yeah, Pete Davidson, I feel, yeah. I, I, I feel he should be fired. 
Well, it, it's just, I mean, I, again, that's, I, I started what I just said with Tammy Duckworth, who is, is a liberal Democrat. She is a hero in, in every sense of the word. You would never mock her disability. And if anybody did, there would be protests outside of NBC. But apparently it's okay because he's a conservative. It, it's okay to mock the fact that he lost an eye while serving our country. It's appalling. It, now, thanks for calling. I mean, again, and that th- this is what the ag- the double standard, and I, and to everyone, it's not just Saturday Night Live, and it's not just Lauren Michaels, and it's not just this Pete Davidson who most people have never heard of, but it it's. I mean, everybody in the crowd, you you hear roar, uproarious laughter. They're laughing. They're rolling. They're, oh, this is so funny. Have these people absolutely no sense of shame at all? I'm getting a number of texts. They're saying, well, how could the left defend this? Well, I'll tell you, because I, I, I get those texts as well. Well, have, have you heard some of the things that Donald Trump says? Yeah, well, I mean, some of the stuff that President Trump says is inappropriate as well. The John McCain stuff, that was appalling. That was appalling. But does that mean that, all right, it's fair to do all the stuff? The hypocrisy of the people at Saturday Night Live is absolutely staggering. And the fact that NBC apparently doesn't feel that there's any need to respond to things like this tells you, tells you how far through the looking glass we have gone. 1259, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, all right, last week it was... National Jealousy Day in a foreign country. I'm going to tell you what that is and ask you whether we should be jealous like that in America. Stick around. 107, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Melissa, I meant to do this last Thursday. I should have wished you Happy Jealousy Day. And you forgot about that? I, I did. What I, the? I just, I, I don't, I'm sorry. I, I just, I'll catch you next year. Have you ever heard of Jealousy Day? Never. You've never heard of Jealousy Day? I have Day. not heard of Jealousy Day. All right. Stay tuned. Here's the deal. In this country, your tax returns are, are private, except in, this, in the state of Wisconsin, there, there is certain information which is public. For example, you can make a request and see the amount of taxes that a state resident paid. You, you can't see the form itself, but you, you can see... And it is a public, it is a matter of public record, and you can make a request, and you can find out how much, for example, if I was curious as to how much my producer grew paid in state taxes last year, I could make a request, and I could find out that number. I can't see the tax return or how that was calculated, but, I mean, it's, and, and the idea is, well, it's a degree of transparency, and, you know, then, of course, what happens is for public figures, politicians, um, uh, it's sort of a guessing game in the media. They'll make that request, and then they'll try to guess, okay, well, how, how much did the person earn based on this, et cetera, et cetera. All right, but, but other than that, your tax returns are not public. Huge controversy going on and has been going on for the last couple of years involving President Trump, who has declined to make his tax returns public. And remember during the campaign, he said he, he w- he'd love to do it, except he was going through an audit. Well, all right, the IRS doesn't stop you from doing that. He could do it. He just he chooses, for whatever reason, not to do it. He is unique because typically presidential candidates do exactly that. Oh, by the way, we're going to be joined by Governor Scott Walker in about a half hour, so I don't want to forget that while I'm talking about Jealousy Day. But here is the deal. In Finland, by law, every November 1st, It is what they call National Jealousy Day, and that is the day, November 1st, when you can go and you can make a request and you can find out how much anybody 
you can see their tax returns. That that's essentially it. Um, here's the story in the New York Times. Shortly after 6 a.m. on Thursday, people began lining up outside the central office of the Finnish Tax Administration. It was chilly and dark, but they claimed their places, eager to be the first to tap into a mother load of data. November 1st is the day, they call it National Jealousy Day, when every Finnish citizen's taxable income is made public at 8 a.m. sharp. Um, Some people describe it as a fairly positive um, form of gossip. Finland is unusual in turning its release of personal tax data um, into a public ritual of comparison. Um, and, and this ties into government transparency laws. So you can go in, you can see what is the gap between normal people and rich people and very rich people. You can argue, you know, is this, is it too wide? They publish figures, um, so people can say, oh, gee, th- this is my coworker. I can't believe the guy at the cube next to me is making, I don't know, 500 euros more than I am making, et cetera. But, but you can, you can find it out. All that information is public. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, a number of people seem to think that, for example, if you're going to run for president, you should be required by law to make your tax returns public. The idea being then we can investigate, you know, whether you've got conflicts of interest or things like that. And that, that's all that's all well and good. But but let's talk about the larger point here, which is, I mean, should it be a public document? I mean, should people, in the interest of transparency, be able to check and find out whether how much money their neighbors made and how much money their neighbors paid in taxes? Should we in the United States follow this in the interest of transparency and open government and making sure everybody pays their fair share? Should everybody know anything they want about anybody else's taxes? Would you support doing this? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It would give you an idea. Hey, maybe you're underpaid in comparison to some of the people you work with. Maybe you're overpaid. Maybe you always wondered how much that particular person made. Should you have a right to know it? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Should we do something like this? Why or why not? 113, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. What do you think? It's 116, Jeff Wetter, WTMJ. I, I, I found this to be so intriguing. In Finland, every November 1st, which would have been last Thursday, everybody's tax information is public. So anybody who wants to find out you know, how much their neighbor made or how much their coworker made simply has to put in a request, and, and you can find out. It's not private. The idea is, hey, our society is better if information like this, if it's transparent, why should people be able to speculate? Plus, we can be able to figure out whether people are paying their fair share or whatever. 414-799-1620. Should we do something like that in the United States? Let's start with Jeff in Brookfield. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Would we be better off if everybody knew exactly how much everybody else made? Absolutely not. I don't know what they're doing in Finland, but we we don't need to know that information here. Jeff, I, you know, my brother and I have a company. It's a small company here, and we have, we 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 have forty families that we are responsible for feeding, and in and, and housing and clothing. 
And different people make different amounts of money because of their value to the company. Um, that doesn't need to be justified to anybody. Right. Um, it, it, you know, one worker does not need to know what another worker makes. You don't think that would contribute to workplace harmony, in other words, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, it would, it would create a lot of disharmony because people often overvalue themselves, Jeff. Right. Well, right, exactly. No, th- thanks for calling. I mean, I, right, I don't, I mean, other than pure curiosity, and I mean, I, I understand that everybody probably wants to know what other people make. Do they make more? And, and maybe it's a way of, of measuring up. I don't know that that makes that much sense, but I mean, I re- appreciate that that's the reality that is, that is out there. But at the same time, how does this make society better? I have a text here. Um, Kyle says, absolutely not. What I pay the government is between me and the government. Um, basic, basic privacy. And see, I agree with that completely. And here's, and I understand that some of you have disagreed with me on, on the whole Donald Trump thing. I don't think, for example, candidates for office should be required to disclose their tax return information. If they choose to do it, that's okay. But should this be a requirement? No, just like I don't think you should be required to disclose your tax return information, just like I don't think I should be required to disclose it. To me, that information is between you and the government. Now, there's a big asterisk there. If it turns out that you're a tax cheat, you know, and you're doing something wrong and the IRS is filing a civil action against you or the IRS through the U.S. Attorney's Office is bringing a criminal action against you for tax evasion or whatever. All right. That, that's a different story. You know, then then it becomes sort of a public matter if you have allegedly done something wrong. But just this idea that because somebody is curious about, you know, how much money you made or what your sources of income are. I don't think that that's a justification. And I'll be truthful with you. I I don't think it makes society a better place because it inflames, I think, class warfare. It inflames jealousies. Gee, I'm sitting at the guy and the guy next to me is making like, again, a thousand dollars or a thousand euros or whatever more. Now I'm going to resent that. I just don't think, again, absent a criminal action or a violation of the laws that would be civil. I just don't think it's anybody's business how much money other people make. Candidly, if I were king, I would repeal this provision in Wisconsin law, which allows people to find out how much in state taxes different individuals paid. I mean, I think that's a violation of privacy. As long as what you're doing is legal, as long as you haven't run afoul of the State Department of Taxation, State Revenue Department, um, I, I just, I guess I don't think it should be anybody's business how much my producer grew paid in state taxes last year. I, I just don't even think that bottom line, I, as long as, again, what he's doing is legal, and presumably it is, since there haven't been any tax liens or something like that put on him, I, I don't think people should have the right to know. I think income is one of these matters that is private, and I understand it's hip and trendy in some European countries to say we're going to have transparency, but as far as I'm concerned, if you want to wish people happy Jealousy Day, find something different to be jealous about. It's 121, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 122, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, so very glad to have you all with us. So, Gru, if you were down in Disney World in Orlando last Friday morning, if you went to the park last Friday morning, do you know what you would have found? You do not. Well, 
let me tell you, you would have found Christmas decorations. Um, yes, over last Wednesday and Thursday, last Thursday evening, the people that work at Disneyland turned, at uh, Disney World, that is, turned it into a, a, a Christmas wonderland. I mean, they put up all the Christmas decorations um, starting again, November, uh, October 31st, Halloween's over. So the day after Halloween. So now if you were to go down to Orlando, you would see they've got Christmas carols that are playing. They've got, you know, the wreaths that are out. It is decorated for the holidays, which brings a question to mind. Traditionally, people did not decorate for the holidays until after Thanksgiving was over. I mean, once, once Thanksgiving ended, all right, that's the unofficial start of the Christmas season. Boom, you can go in there. Well, th- that's not the way it works anymore. I was in a prominent local garden center just the other day, and that the whole back of the store, they were selling artificial Christmas trees. I mean, the Christmas sections were, were out, and this was even before Halloween. So now there is this question, when is it too early? And is it too early now? Let's tee this up. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is now, okay, first week of November. Thanksgiving is coming up in a couple weeks. You walk into a lot of the stores, and already, I mean, they're, they're big selling Christmas merchandise. The Christmas sales are starting to roll. But let's talk about, for example, your house. Let's talk about the stores. When is the appropriate time? to start putting up Christmas decorations. Was it last weekend? Did Disney World jump the gun? Should you have at least waited till after Thanksgiving? Or, hey, we love the holidays, the Christmas holidays. They don't last long enough as it is. If you want to start, if you want to put up your tree, if you've got an artificial tree, you want to put up your tree, um, I don't know, last weekend or this coming weekend, and you want to decorate it, I mean, is that too soon? If you want to put up the Christmas lights or start turning on the Christmas lights today, tomorrow, whatever, is that too soon? When is the appropriate time? Should you wait till after Thanksgiving or any time now between now and the holidays? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk a little bit about these transformations. Like I say, Disney World, they're, they're all, Disney World, they're already set. You go down there and I don't know, it's not even Thanksgiving, but you're going to see nothing but Christmas decorations. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Danny in West Dallas. Danny, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, how are you? I'm good. Okay, is it too soon now? Oh, gosh, yes. Um, I always remember the day after Thanksgiving, and I'm Jewish. So, you know, I don't even <laughs> put up Christmas decorations. <laughs> but, you know, and, but, you know I, just, I just get sick of seeing it. So darn early, uh, only just because you know I know it's the Almighty Dollar. Right. Well, I mean it. it well, I mean thanks. Well, it is certainly in the stores, but I mean you know what about for people's houses? I mean if you've got if you've got an artificial Christmas tree, is it too soon to to put it up? I mean if you want to put it up next Sunday and be able to enjoy it for two months, is that too much? Oh, Mike says jo- Jeff, the joke's on you. We never take our Christmas tree down. Okay. All right. Well, all right. It's the 4th of July. We've got it up here. All right. I remember some years ago that Target placed both Halloween and Christmas stuff out in September, but received some backlash for doing it. That's too soon for me. I don't think Christmas decorations belong up until the week of Thanksgiving. All right. Here's another text. We, uh, this is Jamie. 
we always decorate uh, for Christmas, the day after Thanksgiving. Been to Disney a few times for the Christmas decorations in early November. It's wonderful. Nobody does Christmas like uh, Disney. It never seems really too early to bring the holiday cheer, given all the social turmoil lately. Um, Rocky says, my Christmas decorations are up as well. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Chris in Glendale. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi, Chris. Um, <laughs> I am not hosting Thanksgiving this year, so I'm thinking that the tree should go up before Thanksgiving so that I can get it ready in time for Christmas. Okay. Because there's lots of decorating to do. And I assume... And lots of baking to do. <laughs> right. I assume you have, a, you have an artificial tree, right? It's an artificial. Yeah. And I can, I've got this string of lights that will do different colors for the different seasons if I want. I can do blue and white. I can do (laughs) orange and green. I can do all kinds of different things, red and green. So I could just put out the orange and green for Thanksgiving Day. (laughs) You know, it's... It's interesting, when I was at this, this, this store, looking at all these different Christmas trees, um, it is amazing what they have nowadays. They're, they, they've got all these LED lights, and you can just push a button, and you, and you can decide, do you want it to be purple? Do you want it to be, you know, like you were saying, it's all these different colors. It was almost overwhelming. I mean, I'm, I come from back in the day where you had to have the string of lights, and the big deal was, do they flash or not? Now, you can choose what color you want them to all be. That's right. And oh. I can keep it up for... St. Patrick's Day, clean and white, <laughs> and orange if I want. <laughs> Thanks for calling. I don't want my wife to be getting any ideas here. 414-799-1620. Sal in Appleton. Sal, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I always say good morning, Jeff. My day lasts longer than me. <laughs> Got it. Anyway, I think the reason a lot of people do the decorating at this time of the year is they realize that the weather is very iffy. Right. It could be it could be a snowstorm tomorrow, who knows what, right. but we're getting close to the season and they just want to do it during the safe time of the year and when the weather is uh, allowing it to be done. Okay, so so let me ask you this. I, I get that. So let's say that, you know, you're one of these people that hangs the lights every year. You know, they're not up permanently. I understand hanging the lights this weekend or next weekend, not waiting to December. But but do you light them? Do you go ahead? Okay, you've got them up there. Do you go ahead and light them? Well, no, I wouldn't, I yeah. guess, but uh, not until after Thanksgiving. But. Right. Okay. No. See, that's it. I'm. You're kind of. Thanks. See, you're you're kind of a traditionalist too. No. I mean, like I say, I I understand getting the stuff ready, and and if you if you go if you put lights on the house or things like that, I I get it, but. I'm not turning them on. All right, here's a text from Chris. It says, when I was younger, I thought any time before Thanksgiving was too soon. As I get older, I find myself getting in the Christmas mood right about now. My tree is going up this week. Something about the lights and simple Christmas decorations that get in the mood for Christmas. Then, of course, you know, one of the cottage industries in, in, in my business is when when does the first radio station abandon its music format and go to Christmas music. I will tell you this, on on satellite radio today, as I was driving in, I was listening to something on satellite radio. Yeah, I listen to satellite radio occasionally. And they were promoting like three or four or five channels that have already gone holiday. It's 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ Grooves, producing the show today and always. I have decided the whole world has gone crazy except you and me. And as they say, sometimes I wonder about you. Okay, here, here's the story. Um, the University of Wisconsin-La Crosse, your tax dollars at work. 
they schedule different people to come in and, and speak to them. And last week, with almost no public knowledge, they decided to schedule an appearance, paid paid her $5,000. Her name is Nina Harley. Do you know who Nina Harley is, Grew? You do not. Uh, okay, uh, Hart, Nina Hartley. Nina Hartley? You don't know? Well, she's she's a pornographic movie star. The University of Wisconsin Lacrosse took five thousand dollars from uh, student fees, their auxiliary fund, which is student fees and interest, and they brought this Nina Hartley, who is a pornographic movie star, into Lacrosse to give a a ninety minute talk about sexuality, adult entertainment, pornography, etc., etc. And they wonder why some people might be offended by this particular situation. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But right now, as we have been reminding you, tomorrow is Election Day. I know you might have gone out and voted already, but there's a number of people who still haven't. And candidates are making their last-ditch appeal, this kind of last-moment appeal to try to get out the vote. Um, some races are very, very close, and I, it becomes a bit of a cliche, but I, I think turnout does matter, and this is an election where maybe more time, in, you know, more than any other case I can remember in the last 20 or 25 years, turnout is going to make a difference. We are now joined by the governor of, state, of the state of Wisconsin, who is on the ballot tomorrow, Scott Walker. Governor, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Great traveling with you. I'm out with Rebecca Clayfish and my family today. We're making the case to voters, and you're exactly right. The last Marquette poll had it dead even, 47-47. It shows that every vote quite literally will count. And i got to tell you, Jeff, the reason I believe it's close is even though everybody knows the poll overwhelmingly showed there was a huge advantage on people believing we're heading in the right direction, which is obvious. More people working than ever before. Uh, lower property taxes, income taxes, some of the best schools in the nation, all those things heading us in the right direction, much, much better than we were eight years ago. But it's the big lie about pre-existing conditions. People are worried and concerned about that. I find it actually, quite frankly, outrageous that Tony Evers would lie about that and put people through the kind of concern that I've heard from many. But the bottom line is, in Wisconsin, people with pre-existing conditions are all are, are covered today. And as long as I'm governor, they will always be covered in the state of Wisconsin. Yeah, governor, personal to me. Yeah, well, yeah. governor, I, I, let, let me just back up on it because I'm, I'm I'm reading a story in in the Madison newspaper today, and and it says that um, it's referring to you. Talks about how you are making a notable last minute <laughs> reversal on on the issue of protecting people with pre existing health conditions. What, what what is that? There's, is there any basis of that at all that you're suddenly reversing your position on this? No, it's just crazy. In January, at the State of the State, people go to our website, scottwalker.com, look on it on Facebook or Twitter. I've tweeted and posted on this many, many, many times in the past. In January, at the State of the State, I talked about that. On the campaign trail, I've talked about it. I talked about it each of the debates. I've talked about it in speech after speech after speech. I made it clear. In Wisconsin, today, right now, everyone living with a pre-existing condition is covered. As long as I'm governor, we will always cover people with pre-existing conditions. And I made it clear, people have nothing to worry about. It's totally going to be covered. And I've, re- I've stressed this, what I was about to say, which you're exactly right to ask about, is this is not only the right thing to do, it's personal to me like it is probably to most of your listeners. 
Tonette, you know, my wife, Tonette is a type 1 diabetic. Uh, my mother, two years ago in October of, of 2016, uh, had found, in fact, I would encourage people to go in. They can use the 3D technology. She went in instead of 2D, her exam with 3D found her breast cancer. She went in immediately. Early detection saved her life. And my little brother, who's younger than me, but definitely now taller than I am, my little brother David uh, actually has a heart condition. So when I think about covering people with pre-existing condition, I think about my brother, my mother, and my wife, and I find it absolutely outrageous that Tony Evers should be ashamed of himself uh, for trying to take advantage of people, whether they have cancer or any other serious disease or ailment. We will always cover people with pre-existing condition. It's not a, that's not a new position. I mean, the whole world heard me talk about it at the State of the State last January. Uh, Governor, let's talk a little bit about the economy. I, I think for a, a number of us who've watched politics over, over the years, typically the, the, the standard line is it's the economy stupid, going back to the Bill Clinton days. Right. Wisconsin's economy has been going gangbusters for, for years. Do you think that message is resonating with voters? Well, I do. I mean, the good news is if you get past that lie, and I encourage people to go to scottwalker.com and click on Get the Facts. It's a simple sheet. Front and back, white piece of paper, black print, talks about the facts on pre-existing conditions on health care. It talks about taxes, education funding, infrastructure, you name it. All these just outrageous attacks out there. People have seen through that. The same poll that shows the race dead heat, 47 apiece, also shows by a significant margin that people believe the state is heading in the right direction. That's because people can see it. The, the we're hiring signs are up all over the place. The biggest Thing that Rebecca Clayfish and I hear about are people telling us they got jobs, they just just don't have enough people to fill them. It's, it's why we made the largest actual dollar investment into schools in state history. That was not just for student success, and I want that for my nieces, just like I, my kids went to public schools in Wauwatosa, uh, but equally, if not more importantly, I, I need a workforce out there. I need people ready for careers out there, and it's why going forward, we want to expand youth apprenticeships in the seventh and eighth grade. We want to keep our graduates here. I want to provide a, a $5,000 tax credit for any graduate of a two-year college or university who stays and works for the next five years. But I've got to build the workforce to continue to move Wisconsin forward. People get it. More people working there before, eight months in a row, record low employment. More people today, uh, more jobs, I should say, today than there are unemployed people in the state of Wisconsin. Tony Evers would turn all that around. Tony wants to raise your property taxes, your income taxes, the gas tax, the gas tax by as much as a dollar a gallon. That would cost us jobs. Tony's taxes would cost us jobs and lead us to a recession. But, but Governor, I, I just saw Tony Evers just the other day saying, well, well, that despite what he said earlier on, now he, he's promising he's not going to raise anybody's taxes. I mean, talk about the outrage of that. So he's saying that at the same time his spokesperson is saying there's no change out there. Uh, the reality is they're, they're trying to play with smoke and mirrors out there. For years, Tony Evers has long time been an advocate for raising property taxes. That'll hurt seniors and working families and small business owners. He said throughout this campaign he's going to raise income taxes on manufacturers and farmers. That'll cost us jobs, and that'll hurt farmers right when they're down. Uh, we need to help farmers and get them back up on their feet again. And he said the day after the primary, when asked, he said everything's on the table. When asked about a gas tax increase as much as a dollar a gallon, I got to tell you, to your listeners, I think they're smart. They understand that any time a politician from Madison says they're not going to tell you exactly how much they're going to raise your taxes until after the election, hold on to your wallets, hold on to your purses. It's going to be a big time increase 
Tony's taxes will cost this job. Governor, um, early on, a few months ago, we, we heard a lot of conversation about, you know, Foxconn, and, and I thought maybe that would end up being an issue in, in the race. I didn't understand that either, because how can you look the other way? I mean, how can and you interpret anything that's going to bring thousands of jobs to Wisconsin as being bad? I, th- that issue has kind of gone away, it seems to me. You, are you, do you continue to be very proud of bringing Foxconn here? Absolutely. And the only outrageous part is that Tony Evers, again, last week, pandering in front of the the state journal, the, the Madison paper editorial board, was somehow claiming he was going to undo their air permits, even though they complied with the laws that stated today, which means they got to have clean air as well as clean land and water. Uh, but my goodness, they're going to create 13,000 good-paying family-supporting jobs. They're going to create another twenty to 25,000 indirect jobs. They're putting nearly 10,000 people to work in this state constructing it. What I love the best of all is I was just two weeks ago at a groundbreaking down at the Gateway Technical College where they're doubling the size of one of their facilities for technical education. I saw on campus about three weeks ago at the University of Wisconsin, they had Foxconn days to try and recruit more students to come work there. And they're doing that all across the state. That to me is the biggest legacy of Foxconn is all the graduates who would be working directly for them or for companies like them associated with that all over the state of Wisconsin. Uh, Foxconn will transform the state just like Microsoft did and still does today uh, for the state of Washington. And i got to believe after the election there will be a lot of people, including a lot of Democrats, who kind of like the ice bowl will claim they were there <laughs> all along the way. Go- Governor, t- to that extent, one of, one of the other arguments that's out there, and again, and you've been in office for it going on eight years now, and you know everybody – Decide. Sometimes people forget about what the economy was like, for example, eight years ago, and they, you know, obsess about other stuff. There, there, there's a pothole in front of my house, or, or whatever. Let, let's talk a little bit about transportation. And for people who are frustrated with the, the pothole that is in front of their house, what, what do you say to them? Well, again, this is another reason to go to that ScottWalker.com site, click on Get the Facts, because besides pre-existing conditions and education funding, transportation and taxes are on there too. Again. No flash, just the facts. The facts in transportation are clear. We put $24 billion. We've invested $24 billion in the transportation fund. Uh, Jim Doyle, same amount of time, put $21 billion. And as you know, uh, rated more than a billion dollars out of the fund. We gave local governments, the people who actually fix things like what you just mentioned, local governments in the last budget got the largest increase they've received in 20 years uh, to maintain our roads and bridges across the state of Wisconsin. And we've now pledged. They give them the largest amount they've ever received in the history of the programs. The groups running the attack ads, the group groups uh, pointing out uh, the misinformation out there, are overwhelmingly groups who benefit, who make their money off of massive new interchanges in places like Milwaukee. We've spent over a billion dollars between the Marquette and the zoo interchange in Milwaukee over the past decade. It's time to give everybody a break from all the orange barrels in that area and instead distribute that money to all 72 counties. But the groups who make their big cash off of that don't like the idea because they don't make big money off of maintaining roads. They make them by building big new interchanges. We're going to maintain the roads and bridges. We're going to maintain the state, maintain the state highways. We can do that without Tony Evers' tax increase. Governor, uh, for, for people who get most of their information from watching TV or, or just picking up the newspapers or whatever, one of the things that's being predictive is just a huge enthusiasm gap, that there's going to be this giant blue wave and the people 
motivated by issues maybe beyond Wisconsin, for example, how they feel about President Trump. They're, they're going to be running out to, to vote for Republicans or Democrats or whatever. What, what is your sense as you're traveling the state, as I know you are talking to people? I mean, are people enthusiastic about getting out to vote? Absolutely. And we remind people that, you know, both uh, Ron Johnson and uh, Donald Trump were down on the Marquette poll before the election two years ago. And people sometimes say, well, that's because the polls were wrong. I said, no, what's more important is we changed the polls. We got out and we got the facts out. We got energized. Instead of it getting us down, we went out and worked even harder. I would tell the people listening right now what I hear across the state. I'm in Superior right now. We have a we had a great crowd in Superior today. We were, we've been in Madison. We started out in Madison. We've been in La Crosse. We've been in Eau Claire. Tonight we're going to be at Weldon Manufacturing in Waukesha. Come on out and join us. We're we're still going to the Wausau and Green Bay yet. We just know that when we get the facts out, people are pumped up. There have been huge crowds all across the state. We had a great crowd the other day in Hudson with the vice president. We continue to have great crowds. People are motivated. They know what's at stake. They know we cannot go backwards. We've come too far now. We cannot mess this up. Not so much for my sake or Rebecca Clayfish's case or Brad Schimmel's case or Leah Buchner's case, but for our kids and our grandkids, they have to. They just absolutely have to inherit a state and a country far greater than the one we inherited, and it all begins tomorrow when people not only vote themselves, but I'd encourage everybody listen, vote for us 10 times if you like what we're saying. Once legally, and find nine more people you can take to the polls before 8 o'clock tomorrow night. Hey, have you voted already, or are you going to vote uh, at home? I voted early. My wife voted early. That's because I'll be back on the trail tomorrow. <laughs> I'll be in Wauwatosa and West Dallas. I'll be in Green Bay and uh, Wausau uh, area tomorrow before I head back. To Milwaukee, where we'll celebrate tomorrow night. But again, we'll be in the area uh, tonight at Weldo Manufacturing. I'd love to have people come and join us as well because we got a great story to tell, and it all begins tomorrow. Uh, we, uh, we've uh, turned this state around, cannot turn back. Uh, people have to turn out, and I hope every one of your listeners will make that commitment. Go to that site, scottwalker.com, print out your own flyer, get the facts, click on that in the top, go get the facts out there, go to the sheet that says get the facts. Click, there's a chart there, too, that shows the difference between 2010 and 2018. Pass it on. Family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, heck, even the people you stand in line with at the grocery store. We do that. We win. Governor Scott Walker, thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. Best of luck tomorrow. Thanks, Jeff. Take care. All right. That's Governor Scott Walker. He's traveling the state. Um, there, there's no question, a lot of energy, and this is... This is one of those things. I mean, I, I, as I've been saying all along, one of my lessons of the last several years, I'm very skeptical of polls, but my sense is this is a very, very close race simply because after you've been in office for eight years, sometimes people get complacent, not Governor Walker, but sometimes voters get complacent. And let's face it, I mean, Governor Walker has done things over the years that with Act 10 or whatever have, have not endeared himself to certain special interest groups. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what the results are tomorrow, but tomorrow is Election Day. 151, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And Melissa, I always try to keep you on your toes. You do. Yeah, that's what I, want to... <laughs> I know. Okay, so this, this, this might be one of these things. Um, okay, they made an announcement today, and I'm actually, and maybe this will surprise you. I, I'm sitting here thinking, 
Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> playing at Summerfest <laughs> on July fourth. Yeah, Ozzy. I have never seen. I have never seen Black Sabbath live. I have never seen Ozzy Osbourne live. Now he's not playing with Black Sabbath. Yeah. But Ozzy Osbourne's going to be headlining July fourth. Will you be going to that? I'm thinking about. I think so. Well, the thing that cracks me up it's his. No more tours, too. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's the second time he's said he's going to have no more tours. Well, so. the Eagles have been doing that for know, years too. It's, it's, it's the, and, and Elton John's on like a three-year farewell concert right. tour and stuff like that. But no, I okay, yeah. okay. The they Summerfest announced today that Ozzy Osbourne I'm is going to be playing at Summerfest on July fourth. I'm sitting there thinking, what of a what a better way to wrap up the fourth live than Ozzy Osbourne at Summerfest? Well, as I was reading that during the news, I glanced up at you and saw the look on your face. I was like, he's definitely going to be mentioning that later on. I, I, well, I'm thinking about it. And, and Megadeth is the opening act. Now, I'm again, I'm... I don't know about Megadeth, but Ozzy, I think that could be very entertaining. Well, it, yeah, it, it is. And I, I mean, I, I'm not... I mean, I'm not a headbanger and stuff like that. But at the same time, you know, how many how many more times are you yeah. going to have a chance to see Ozzy? I mean, it does, let, let's face it. He's already defeat. He's kind of like Keith Richards. He's already beaten the odds that <laughs> he's still around yeah. here and stuff. I'm, I am... I am seriously thinking about that, but now, now here's the the next step. If I if I go back and say to my lovely and charming wife, "Hun, what do you think about <laughs> what do you think about Ozzy Osbourne on the Fourth of July?" and I'm I'm not sure how that's going to be received. Maybe she'll say, "How about we catch him on the No More Tours 3? <laughs> no, but on the other hand, I, I mean, I'll say, "Hey, well, you know, we'll 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 take." You know, we'll 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 take your your kids and yeah. stuff. I mean, we'll 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 make a party you of it. Just check it July. out and absolutely, it'll be good. I'm thinking of this. All right, that that I'm all right. I'm 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 very seriously thinking of it. You know, now sometimes you see these old the, these performers who've been around and let let's face it, Ozzy has a whole bunch of hard miles on him. You yes. know, I mean, there's just and sometimes it's I, Bob Dylan saw him a couple of years ago at Summerfest. Huge disappointment. It was just awful. But every once in a while. But at the same time, I, Rod Stewart, I saw him in Las Vegas. Rod was, you know, yeah. he, he was. He should have been was, done, right? It was kind of rocky. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I admit. I mean, it was it was a fun concert. He tried hard, but it was it was rocky. There's another uh, rock group that just announced they're doing their last tour, and that's Kiss. Kiss, oh, yeah. Okay, so I saw Kiss years ago, and I, it was a Kiss Aerosmith tour, and I went for Aerosmith, but I ended up loving Kiss because it was such a performance. It was, I mean, it oh. was crazy, and then it paled in comparison after. To see Aerosmith, oh, well, like it, Kiss was a just dramatic. It, it, and, it is funny you should mention that because uh, Kiss is playing at Pfizer Forum, and they announced last week that Bob Seger, and I'm a huge oh, Bob Seger fan, yes. and he's doing a farewell tour as well. And I, I am seriously thinking about kind of looking at the checkbook and figuring out, gee, can we can can we figure out a way to afford going to Ozzy? And the answer is probably yes. Ozzy Osbourne. And Kiss and Bob, uh, Bob Seger. Oh, that, that's, I that's, love it. That's it. Okay, you'll be rocking out. All right. <laughs> okay. So, well, maybe, maybe you'll be there with me. I, what does one? What is? How does one dress to go to an Ozzy well, Osbourne? We're black. Because <laughs> we're all black. Because we're we're all black, and you'll, you'll fit be right in. Okay. All right. Well, we'll we'll see. I'm seriously thinking about that. That's uh, maybe maybe Don Smiley might be hearing about from me. Ozzy Osbourne. Got to Just have to love it. Okay. Let us switch gears. We've been spending a lot of time talking about the the election and the different candidates, and we'll double back. We'll spend some time on that tomorrow as well. For many of you, you've already voted, as I said. Um, I, I'm Fran and I, we're going out tomorrow morning early. That's the plan. Uh, go up to the polling place. 
I have voted early from time to time, but I, I love the in-person voting. There's just something something very cool to me about, you know, going and, and participating in the civic experience of standing with your fellow citizens and waiting in line and getting a chance to vote. So I'm I, I am looking forward to that and I'm gonna be voting and it does and it doesn't matter. I mean, I don't know what the weather's gonna be like tomorrow. We've had some of the weather forecasts. It doesn't matter whether it's raining or not. I'm I'm gonna be out there voting. But one of the interesting dynamics as you, as you stand in line with your fellow citizens is you really don't know how, you know, different people are going to vote. And in some areas of our listening area, there, there's no question, you know, chances are, gee, if you're voting in this particular place, chances are that nine out of the 10 people that you're standing in line with are going to be voting for Democrats. If you're standing in other spots, maybe nine out of the 10 people are going to be voting for Republicans. But I am intrigued by what happens when you have that split in your household, what if you are part of the mixed, what I would describe as as a mixed marriage? There was an interesting story in the Chicago Tribune about, again, it's it's a couple, and she she's supporting the Democrat for Congress. He's supporting the Republican for Congress. They've got yard signs for both candidates up in their front yard. You know, and, and the story talks about how, you know, I mean, they've they've been split since they got married. They they have a, a different view of politics. I, I've I've told this story before. It, it's no secret. My my late wife, she and I did not see eye to eye on political things. Didn't didn't stop us from being happily married for decades. But there, there's no quite the standing joke when we would go into the polls. I would typically go earlier in the day, and the standing joke, the poll workers would say, oh, see that you're here to cancel out Jeff's vote. It's just kind of the way it, it worked. And people that, that knew us just knew that that was kind of the case. And we knew it all along, and it, it just never interfered with you know us being married. But there, there were times when, you know, there's no question about it, when political stuff it, some of the conversations, you know, got tense during the Obama years, during the, you know, George Bush presidency. There, there, you know, and every once in a while, one or the other of us had, had to kind of back off. But, but you have these mixed marriages politically. What would happen is, though, I, whenever I would talk about this, I would have people say, I just don't understand it. You know, how, how can you, how can you have a relationship with? How can you be friends with? How can you be married to? How can you get along at a family dinner when you see things one way and they see things such so diametrically, diametrically opposite? And I would always say, it, it just all works out. Right? I want to open up the phone lines, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are, are you in one of those situations, the, the, the mixed marriage, your spouse and you, have carved out a you know a great life together. Maybe you got kids together. You've done all these things, but you just see the world differently from political perspectives. Does that happen? And and how do you get past it? Because I, I legitimately I get questions all the time, or at least I used to get questions all the time about you know how how can how can that work out? How can you be involved in a relationship with? How can you have friends? How can you be married to somebody who sees things? completely different when it comes to politics. And I would always say, well, we just tend not to talk about politics when it gets tense. How do you do it? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Gru is lining up the calls back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Can, can you make a mixed marriage work? 
Can you make a relationship work? Can you make a friendship work if you just see things completely opposite when it comes to politics? My answer is yes. But, you know, maybe you have to be committed to work at it a little bit. 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Linda in Elkhorn. Hi, Linda. Hi, how are you? I am well. Okay, can a couple be married if you have diametrically different political views? Absolutely. I grew up in a household where my mother was a registered Republican, my father was a registered Democrat, and I'm dating myself here. In the Nixon-Kennedy elections, my mother was president of the Young Republicans, and my father was president of the Young Democrats, <laughs> and they remain married. My husband and I both have very different political views, but it doesn't mean that we can't discuss it and get along. Yeah, now, I, my guess is maybe there's times when one or the other of you kind of has to dial it back a little bit in the interest of family harmony. That's usually me. <laughs> well, right, yeah, and and, yeah, just, and and I get that because sometimes things kind of get heated, but at the end of the day, even though it affects worldviews, it's just politics, and it has nothing to do with figuring out how you're going to pay your bills or raise your kids or what you're going to do for the house and stuff. You, I think sometimes people get so wrapped up in it, but well-adjusted people recognize that, you know, it's not necessarily the most important thing in life. Absolutely, 100% I agree. How long have you been married? 45 years. <laughs> okay. Well, you've, you've figured out the formula. Thanks for the call, Linda. 414-799-1620. Here's a note. Uh, my spouse and I used to vote the same until Trump came along. However, we also have different opinions when it comes to music as well. Politics isn't the reason why we got married. Yeah, that's what I always used to say to people, too. I mean, it's it, it's I mean, I understand it's kind of the world view and things like that. But at the same time, my guess is there's a lot more that brings couples together. Um, let's see. Here's a text. My mother-in-law is a Democrat. She lives upstairs. We try not to talk politics too much. Um, at the same time, she doesn't say much because I have the power box in my house. I assume that would be like, like I, I can turn off the TV or whatever. 414-799-1620. Can, and, you know, every once in a while as you're driving around during a campaign season, you, you will see the, those yard signs. And if you're a regular listener to the program, you know, I'm not a big believer in yard signs. But you, you'll see, I don't know, Tony Evers and Scott Walker at the same house. And you're always kind of intrigued. and You want to kind of bang on the door and say, what exactly is going on here? But I get it. It's it's a mixed marriage. Kathy in Brookfield. Kathy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Um, can, can, can marriages survive if they've got... One party who's a conservative and one who's a liberal? Well, yes, but somebody has to back down. (laughs) (laughs) That's usually me. I'm Republican. My husband's Democrat, especially this time around. I mean, back in the 80s, we both voted for Reagan. And then when it was was the first first Bush, we both voted for um, Dukakis. Okay. So, I mean, it's been back and forth, but the, these last few years, oh, my good Lord. <laughs> so he says, I don't like Scott Walker because he's a career politician. I said, well, Donald Trump isn't a career politician, and you hate him. <laughs> and then he just goes off and, and, and tells, tells me how bad the world is and how our country's failing. And then, you know, I said, 
let's just agree to disagree because we're right. never going to convince each other, and we have to drop it. We have to drop it. Right. And I've been mar- married thirty four years. And so, so obviously, you've kind of found that formula. But you're you're it's one of you're in one of those deals too, where when you go in to vote, you know you're canceling out his vote or vice versa. <laughs> Doesn't it seem that way? I don't know if that's how it works, but it seems that way. <laughs> well, no, no, no. They say, well, I mean, that that's kind of, you know, how, they, I mean, as a practical matter, that that's sort of it. You know, he goes and votes for his guys, and you go and vote for your guys or gals or whatever. But I, I think, see, to me, that's the, the bottom line of it all. I mean, you, you, have, to, you have to recognize that you, you can't. Now, I, I, I'm trying to think here. Maybe, maybe if it's a situation where you're not in a good marriage, that's just, you know, one other thing that people can fight about. But my guess is they're, they're there fighting about all sorts of other stuff as well. If you're in a good marriage, it's kind of like one where you kind of roll your eyes and go, okay, she's wrong or he's wrong or whatever. And then kind of just think about all the stuff that keeps you together. Elizabeth in Hales Corners. Elizabeth, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, how are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, can, can, can mixed marriages politically survive? Yeah. Okay. We're both on different... Okay. Okay. It's a little hectic sometimes, but um, we have our son is just turned eighteen last week, and he can vote. And he's like, I don't want either of you to influence me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so he doesn't. Even, he doesn't want to tell you which way he's leaning and stuff, huh? Nope. No, not at all. And I'm okay with that. Okay. In your household, who's on the right and who's on the left? <laughs> um. I'm probably on the left, and my husband definitely is on the right. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, that's... <laughs> but you know what? I've come, I've come to it, like, I kind of say that I look at the person now. I don't really... I, mm-hmm. I just have changed that way a little bit, where I look at what the person is saying mm-hmm. versus the party. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, so and my husband won't have that at all. Oh. <laughs> he's 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 just, he's just close-minded. You can't get through to him at all, huh? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, good enough. Thanks for the call, Elizabeth. I didn't mean to create marital harmony, disharmony there. I, that, was, that was not the point of this. But the, the bottom line is, again, I, I'm always kind of intrigued by this. And the truth of the matter is, I, I think. I think it can coexist. I, I think it can. Now, if if you can't if you can't walk away from things, chances are, like I say, you you've got bigger problems than just the political differences. But always interesting. And of course, I understand in the era of of Trump, but we said this in the era of Obama as well, and we said it during the era of Bush. I, I understand that that the political differences and the fact that you know so many people are just on their last nerve it does create stress in marriages it creates stress in relationships it create i mean i i have several friends very very close friends of mine who you know have a different world view than i do when it comes to politics so you know how we deal with it we don't talk about politics as a general we talk about basketball or baseball or football or whatever but, you know, we, we don't spend time arguing about this or that or the other thing because we just see things differently. So, all right, let's talk about all the stuff that we agree on and the stuff that makes us friends. Just saying. 226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. With us. From Hall of Famers like Jerry Kramer to recent greats like Lang and Sitton, make your pick at guard this week for our Green Bay 100 all-time 53-man Packers roster. Text the number 100 to 414-799-1620. 
for the link to our ballot. Okay. I've been waiting all day to discuss this with you. Here's the deal. Bladensburg, Maryland is sort of a bedroom community outside of Washington, D.C. If you can kind of picture that, it's about six or seven miles from like downtown Washington, D.C. Here, here is the deal. There's a busy intersection in this town. And in the town, at this busy intersection, there is a 40-foot cross, right? 40-foot cross. It is a huge cross. Um, it sits on state property. Now, you might say, Jeff, how did this giant cross get into the state property of Maryland? Well, here's the deal. The cross um, has been there since 1925. It was built in 1925, and it commemorates 49 soldiers from Prince George's County, county where Bladensburg is, who died in World War I. So the giant cross was erected in 1925, and it, uh, it was paid for by the American Legion and by local families. All right, so th- this is this was private land in 1925. In 1961, the state this would be the state of Maryland took over the monument and the land. So now it's state land, but it's a war memorial. Uh, since then. The state, this is since 1961, has paid about $117,000 to maintain and repair the memorial. So it's been there since 1925. It's been on state property since 1961. All right? So you might say, all right, well, what's the big deal here? Well, you maybe figured it out. In 2014, several area residents and something calling itself the American Humanist Association sued to remove the cross, saying they were offended by what they said was an endorsement of Christianity. They said, okay, there's this Christian cross, it's state property, it's got to go, we are offended by this. And last year, a divided appeals court panel said, these people are right. The cross sends an unconstitutional message of government approval of a particular religion, thereby breaching the wall of church and state. Now, I bring this up because the Supreme Court on Friday agreed to hear this case. And once and for all, they're going to be deciding whether or not these crosses, which are all over war memorials, I mean, there's... I mean, there's, if you've ever been to Arlington National Cemetery, and by the way, if you ever go to D.C., you have to go to Arlington National Cemetery. It's amazing. But in Arlington, there's a 24-foot Canadian Cross of Sacrifice. There's a 13-foot Argonne Cross. I mean, these are in that cemetery. If this case goes the other way, those, those crosses will have to come down. And, I mean, the arguments, I mean, here's the arguments on both sides. The people that... The people that think the crosses have to go say it's a Christian cross. That's the only interpretation you can have. And so um, it, it has a special meaning to someone who adheres to the Christian faith. So people from other faiths or people who don't believe in God, they will be offended or feel excluded by seeing the, the cross. Right. The flip side is that the cross, while for some it has a religious significance, also 
has other significance as well. For example, you know, some of the people say, they, they call this the Peace Cross. The Peace Cross has stood as a place of solemn commemoration and a source of civic unity for nearly a, a century. And to take this down or to require it to be taken down would be a shocking act of disrespect for the people who lost their lives. So I guess the real question becomes, can the cross, does it, especially as a memorial, does it only have a religious interpretation? All right. I've been waiting all day to discuss this with you. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You, I mean, I gave you the examples of this one, the two that are the two big memorials that are in Arlington. But my guess is there are countless other war memorials all across this country that, that are marked by crosses. And again, I understand for people of the Christian faith, the cross has a significance. But is it exclusively, is that exclusively a message to people who are Christian? And if you are not, I mean, should you be offended by seeing this cross? Can a cross have multiple meanings? And this cross that has been on this war memorial since 1925, the humanists don't like it. Should it have to come down? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As you might guess, I have a very strong feeling about this. We will discuss in just a moment. 241, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I'm looking at a picture of this now, this, this cross. They call it the Peace Cross. It was erected in 1925 to honor World War One dead out of Prince George's County, Maryland, which is a suburb of, of, of Washington, D.C. So the cross is 45 feet, 40 feet tall. Um, at, at its base, it's got a plaque that lists the names of all the different people from that county who were killed in World War II. It's also got two signs of the American Legion on it because in 1925, the American Legion, together with some local families, paid for the cross. 1961, the state takes over the land, and they've maintained it as a memorial. 2014, you have the, these humanists who say they are offended by the cross on state land, saying essentially that it's a cross is not an appropriate thing on public property for a memorial because it excludes people who aren't Christian. I got to tell you, I think that is ridiculous. The Supreme Court agreed on Friday to hear this case. And but but if if a cross in in Maryland is wrong, those crosses, if you've ever been to Arlington National Cemetery, they're going to probably have to come out as well. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with let's see. Uh, let's go to Jack in Fox Point. Jack, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thank Hi. you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, I'm assuming and I know that's a dangerous thing to do that these people or this cross was erected in honor of these people who were probably Christian because I'm sure if any of them were Jewish or Muslim they wouldn't they would have put a symbol there that would have respected their religion and so are, are they not desecrating the memory of these people by removing that cross that represents who they were? Well, right. Well, thanks. I mean, I think what they're arguing is that that they're, I mean, I don't know what the religion of any of the people were, but that the cross, yes, it has a religious connotation, but it also, I mean, they call it the peace cross, but it also has a connotation beyond simply uh, religion. And that is that, I mean, you, you see these crosses all the time. I guess that becomes the fundamental question. Does somebody who is Jewish 
or Hindu or, or whatever, do you assume that simply because you see the cross there that that automatically means that it is a Christian symbol? Or does a cross have a symbol beyond that? And I would argue that. I mean, I think when people see the crosses, especially especially in a situation like this, where it is part of an overall memorial, it has a meaning beyond just the symbol of the Christian cross, which is why they call it the, the Peace Cross. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Tom in Wales. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you, sir. What do you think of this? Does the cross need to come down? I think it needs to stay up. It's a memorial to those who served and fought in World War One. I. I think people who are humanists seem to forget the sacrifices that our men and women have done for centuries to keep this country free. And it goes beyond religion. It's a memorial to those who fought and signed that check that said, up include, including my life. Humanists that get offended. I never hear of Jews being offended. I don't hear of anybody else being offended except probably Muslims about crosses. But the humanists aren't looking at it that we're memorializing these men that sacrificed their lives in World War One. We need to remember those sacrifices right. and not desecrate that memory. Well, right. And thanks for no, saying. I think you're exactly right. Now, you, you, the, I mean, the, the humanist approach as adopted in a couple of other Supreme Court cases, Supreme Court law on this has been a mess. I'm glad that they took this case. I hope they take a lot more of these church and state cases so, so you can get some, some definitive rulings on this because they're all across the map. But, for example, um, John Paul Stevens, who, who's not on the court anymore, uh, joined by Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Sonia Sontemayor, said, okay, the, the cross is not a universal symbol of sacrifice. It is only a symbol of a particular sacrifice, and it contains a deep meaning for people who adhere to the Christian faith. No, I, I think that's absolutely wrong. I think, again, if you if you are Christian, right, there is a certain significance to the cross, but that doesn't mean that if, if you're Jewish or you're Muslim or whatever, that you that you can't see the cross as a symbol of sacrifice beyond the religious symbol. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, John in Waterloo. John, you're on WTMJ. Yes, good afternoon, Jeff. Good afternoon. Uh, I agree with everybody, what everybody's been saying. Why take this down? When are these people going to realize that these memorials were set up to remember our fallen and this is what our country was built on, and our forefathers fought for it. Right. But now everything is the opposite. And the only other thing I got to say about it, if they're offended by this, then they better not spend any money because right. it's wrote right on our money. Right, in, in God we trust. No, no thanks to call. I guess and I, I just don't I, – I try to put myself in the place of people. First of all, I, I don't believe that anybody is really offended by this. I mean, let's face it. If, if you're offended by something like this, well, you know, you'd really do fit into that small category of people that I would describe as the politically correct and the perpetually offended. You know, the people who wake up every day with that chip on their shoulder, hoping that somebody knocks it off. I mean, and, and again, I, I mean, I, I, I am a Christian, but at the same time, I, I really do find it hard to believe that somebody that a Jewish person, for example, knowing the history of this, it goes back to 1925, would walk by this and say, gee, I'm offended because they have a cross 
honoring the the war dead in World War One. I. I just I don't think rational people approach things that way. Here's a text, Jeff. I'm really not a Christian, but I'm not offended at all by a cross. It's about the memory of these soldiers. Off limits to anyone. The country is, is under attack by morons from every angle. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Rick in Whitewater. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Rick. Uh, yeah, I lived in Texas back in the 80s, and I don't know if they still have this there, but back then they had Confederate War Memorials just about in every town in the town right. square. Like, what are you going to do, tell them they can't honor their dead the way they want? And my, my point was, this is a county. These people lived in the county. This is how they chose right. to honor their dead who fought in the war. It's right. not a national monument. It's really a county monument and a state thing if you want to go that far. But... You know, are you going to tell everybody in every county you can't honor your dead the way you want? Well, well, right. And I mean, and thanks to call. I mean, I guess I just don't find this to be this overt endorsement of Christianity. And I don't think anybody. Now, I mean, I look, I understand that there are going to be some people who are going to see the memorial and they're going to tie it into, you know, biblical teachings. Christ died on the cross, things like that. I, I understand all that. But I don't think that, that I think other people are going to look at it. And they're going to see, okay, this is, I mean, again, they call it the peace cross. This is, this doesn't have a religious overtone. It is a solemn recognition of the people who died here. Here's a text. Jeff, as you mentioned it, if this cross comes down, do they have to come down at all other cemeteries like Arlington? And my answer, I think, is yes. I, I mean, if, if this is a, if this is an endorsement of religion that can't be on public property, then yeah, I think, all the public cemeteries, all the veteran cemeteries that have crosses, yeah, I think that those are going to have to come down. Um, here's the other, then they go on to say, the bigger question to me is if those crosses have to come down, will the crosses have to come off veterans' headstones as well if they are on federal and state property? I don't know the answer to that, but the answer is maybe. But the bottom line here is, do, do I appreciate that, that government shouldn't be forcing people to practice religion in a certain way or shouldn't deny people the ability to practice religion as they choose? Of course I do. But this whole idea and the whole notion of the separation of church and state, which is not something found in the Constitution or the Bill of Rights, I, I just think it's gotten so twisted over the years. And I, for one, hope that the Supreme Court starts taking on questions like this so we can get resolutions one way or the other. To me, to tell the people of this county, or in this case the state of Maryland, that this cross that has been up there for darn near a 100 years now has to come down because a couple whiners are offended by this, I think it would be an outrage. But we're going to have an argument. We're going to have a decision I want the cross to stay up. It's 254. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their show. One day to Election Day. Tomorrow, everybody needs to get out and vote. Stick around.